Hey family, Kevin Wallace here from Redemption to the Nations Church. I've got a message for you today that I believe God gave me to bring strength and hope and joy to your journey. I want you to get your heart open. I want you to get ready to receive this word. I don't believe your life's ever going to be the same again. God's getting ready to take you to a new level. I'll see you at the end of this message and we'll pray together. God bless. Enjoy this word. I want us to continue and I think finish a thought that we began last week out of the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And I began something about um, getting ready. Look at somebody, tell them, get ready. Yeah, yeah, we're getting ready. And I think right now, the people of God are in a season of preparation, at least for this house. That is where the Lord has us. It's the revelation God is giving us in this moment is preparing. You cannot receive what you have not prepared for. And it's not that God doesn't uh, uh, give it. It's that he won't waste your promise and your blessing if you're not ready to receive it. He never puts new wine in old skins. Because if you put new wine in old skins, you waste the wine and you waste the skin. So the wine has to be uh, given to something prepared for it. So my prayer is wherever you are in life today, whatever's going on in life today, whatever season you are in, first I want to pray that God give you uh, an, an expectation and an increase in faith that he's up to something in your life. Because how many know God is up to something good in everybody's life? I just believe that for the righteous. I believe God is up to something good. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus and before the foundation of the world you were created for something good. Look at your neighbor tell him something good is on the way. If something good is on the way make sure you're in a season of being prepared for it. And and I just believe that that is where we are. So I want to I want to look at the ninth uh, pardon me the eighth verse. I read this to you last week uh, and then I'm going to read to you Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through about 4, I believe, and then we will jump in and see what God does this morning. If you're ready for the word, say amen. amen. By faith, verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place where he would receive as an inheritance. Say he would receive. I want you to know that is not just a linguistic or a semantic uh, afterthought. In the Greek text, it is very clear he was called to a place that would become the promise, but he didn't know it was the promise until he got to the place. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. It would, that he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out. This is a crazy scripture, but he went out, not knowing where he was going. Anybody ever felt like that before? By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 Look at somebody, tell them we're getting ready. Yes, if you got a grouchy neighbor, uh, I give you permission to grab your stuff and go sit beside somebody who knows how to smile. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor, tell them we're getting ready. We're getting ready. We're getting ready. Yes, yes, yes. 
Now the Lord, verse 1, now the Lord had said to Abram, pay very careful attention uh, that his name at this point has not been changed. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was 75. I need some seasoned saints to get blessed on this right here. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Father, thank you for the word. I pray today that you would give me the anointing to teach and to preach it and let them jump into this anointing so that they can receive it. I pray it would be more than mere presentation and words of eloquence, but I pray for the anointing that quickens the heart and causes faith to rise. That anointing to be upon my life today as we expose the truth to the hearts of the people. We thank you today, God, that the spirit of truth has come. And now that he has come, he will guide us. Guide us, Holy Spirit, into all truth today. We give you our lips. I give you my lips to speak through and my heart to speak to. And I pray today, Holy Spirit, that your word would come over these lips of clay, pierce into the heart, God. I pray in Jesus' name that you get the glory and Christ be magnified in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. You can be seated in the presence, the presence of the Lord. Genesis chapter 12 is the story of the call of Abraham. And as you will see from Genesis chapter 12, really through the balance of the Old Testament, it is the story of the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. In Hebrews chapter 11, the verses that I read to you today, the 8th and the ninth verse, we see a nice summary uh, what took years and years to unfold and to develop and to play out throughout the Old Testament is summarized very nicely in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, these two verses that I read to you, three verses that I read to you about the story of Abraham. And it shows us the power of faith. It shows us the power of trusting God. And I think it's important for us as we talk about promises and, and occupying promised land, which is where we've been kind of camped out preparing for the promised land, on the brink, getting our lives, our hearts right so that we can inhabit uh, the promises of God. As we start thinking about that in this message today, I want you to understand that when it comes to the promises of God and, and inhabiting that, I hope you've known this already, but if not, I think it's important that I say it now. You cannot inhabit the promised land without faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You, you don't have the responsibility of producing the promised land. You have the responsibility of believing that it belongs to you. 
And this is uh, an incredibly important point because the entire new covenant is, is summed up in this whole thing of faith because we see a lot of conversation in the New Testament about it's not by works, it's not by works, it's not by works. Why do the writers, especially Paul, why do the writers of the New Testament continually hammer home, hammer home this thought that it is by faith, not by works, it is by faith, not by works? Why does Paul do that? Because he is talking, listen clearly, he is talking to a people who primarily achieve their success by what they do. And Paul is trying to break through a mindset that is ancient in, and, and deep-rooted in the Jewish people. He's trying to get through their thinking process and their thinking pattern that the promise of God that he wants you to inhabit and he wants you to live in is not the product of how hard you do something to get it. It is really at the foundational level. It is believing God. You, I don't care how hard you work. I know a lot of people who work very hard but don't believe God and have less than people who believe God and they work. They have a hard work ethic but they don't kill themselves trying to produce because their production doesn't come from what they do. Their production comes primarily from trusting God for increase. Trusting God for promises, trusting God for blessing. People of faith are hardworking people and we should be. But God wants to bless your life and mine in such a way that when he does it, people don't look at our life and say, man, they did that by what they did. No, they, they have that. They walk in that. They saw that because of the faithfulness of God. Now, if you got faith, you're going to work hard. But just because you're working hard don't mean you have faith in God. And I think what we've got to understand as we talk about, I'm just laying a foundation here. This is about faith. And if you don't just simply believe God, if you don't trust the promises of God, I don't care how hard you work and how late you stay up, you will be frustrated and live in a, in a fraction of, of the favor that you were intended to live in simply if, if you would just simply trust the Lord, trust his promises that are yes and amen over your life. Abraham, listen to this very carefully, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Flip your Bible open to uh, uh, Galatians 3 and just keep it there because I'm going to read some of it in just a minute. But I want you to imagine this with me. Abraham is a heathen. He's not saved. He was not born in a Pentecostal church. He doesn't speak in tongues. He doesn't fall in the floor. He doesn't know all the, all the churchy things do. In fact, he came from a long line of heathens. The Bible, heathens, how about that? Uh, the Bible said... The Bible said that his father worshiped idols. The book of Joshua tells us that Abraham's father, Terah, worshiped idols, right? They were idol worshipers. They were polytheistic people, and they served many different gods. Out of that context, God comes to a man named Abram, and he says to Abram, I want you to get out of your family. I want you to get away from your family. I want you to get out of this land. I want you to disconnect from everything that you know because I'm getting ready to bless you. And I wrote this down as I was preparing this this week. God called Abraham out of the familiar because faith and familiarity are often at odds with each other. Walking by faith is very, very difficult when you're surrounded by the familiar. God usually has to disconnect you from the familiar to get you in a place where you really trust him. 
In fact, I wrote this down. Somebody needs this today. Familiarity is the enemy of destiny. Familiarity is the enemy of destiny. How many believe God has a destiny? I know some people don't like that word, and it's become a real Christianese kind of word. We go, oh, you've got a destiny. Well, the reality of it is you do have a destiny. You do have a purpose. You do have a reason for being on this planet. God put you on this planet to do amazing things, to encounter amazing things, and to see amazing things so that at the end of your life, you don't just die old, you die full. Come on, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't say, Father, it's halfway done. He said, Father, it is finished. I declare over you that you're not supposed to just die old. You're supposed to die being able to say, it is finished. Everything you put me on this planet to do, I did it. Every purpose you had for me, you were complete. You completed it through my life. I did what you put me on this. How many know you've got a destiny? Come on, inform your neighbor you have destiny. You have to, I know you have a past, but I didn't come to talk about your past. Your past is under the blood for those who are in Christ. I came today to preach to your future. You have a destiny in God. The Bible said in the book of Daniel, those that know God shall be strong and do great exploits. You are not just on this planet to simply warm pews on Sunday. You have a destiny. Your future is greater than your past. Where he's taking you is greater than where you came from. That's not just so you can say I had a good life. It's so that you can bring glory to God. It's so that people who had nothing, people who started with nothing, end up with more than they can even spend and use and do in their life. So they got to actually give it to their next generation. Y'all missing what I'm saying? God has a destiny for you. But familiarity is the enemy of that. Because some people never want to step outside of what is familiar into a land that requires faith. And this message today, man, when I was preparing this and I knew this was coming, and it's so strange because this is about the same time of the year it happened. I, I, I look back at my notes. I want to say it was the first week of December, so it's very close to this time when it happened. 2002. December of 2002. We were in an 800-square-foot home living on Wick. Jeremiah was maybe... A year old, Isaiah was in the oven. The belly. Never mind. Devin was real pregnant. And we had been through a pretty tra- traumatic, I don't want to say traumatic personally, but the whole thing was traumatic. It was a real weird season in a church that I was an associate pastor in. I was 21, 22 years old. Senior pastor, amazing man of God, had been there for a bunch of years, and I'm not going to go down the story. I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable because somebody's watching this that knows this story. But the reality of it is he took me to lunch one day, and he told me. I was a young man. This is a pretty big church back then, and he said, not, not this church, the church I was an associate pastor of. He said, God brought you here to take this baton and to run with it and take this church to the next level. And I was 22 years old. I went home. I told Devin, I said, you're not going to believe this. He took me to lunch. He believes I'm supposed to be the pastor. Long story short, over a period of about seven, eight months, that plan got derailed. It didn't happen. And we decided we were going to stay in that church, and we were going to stay faithful to the new pastor. 
It was a whole big story, whole big mess, but we were there. On my way out the door the first week of December in 2002, we were going Christmas shopping. I'll never forget it. We were going Christmas shopping. We had somebody that walked up and gave us a little bit of money. We're like, whoa, we're going to parentize and go Christmas shopping. Hallelujah. So we go Christmas shopping. On my way out the door, the Spirit of the Lord arrested my heart. He said, I want you to read Genesis. go read Genesis 12 right now. Devin's in the car waiting, which is a first. <laughs> I'm usually in the car waiting. Never mind. I, she was in the car waiting, you know, she's getting impatient. We got a baby, she's pregnant, miserable. We're, we're just, she's waiting. And so I go back in the kitchen, I open my Bible, laying on my kitchen table, I open my Bible to Genesis chapter 12, and the Lord said to Abram, get out of this country. Go to a land that I will show you. Get away from everything familiar to you. I was in a real familiar place. I was surrounded, and it was a great, it was just a great place. Devin and I were having a, the time of our life. Although we weren't the pastors, we were associate pastors. It was a great church. It was in revival. The power of God was moving. I get in the car. I am weeping. I have had an encounter with God. She is pregnant. The baby's screaming in the back car seat. I know y'all's babies don't scream. All of our babies screamed. Hallelujah. She said, what is wrong with you? I said, I just had an encounter with God. She said, what did he tell you? I said, I don't know what's going to happen, but God's calling us out of this place. Where to? I have no clue. And, and it was about seven weeks later, I got a call about a place called Udawa. Can't make this up. Udawa? Can anything good come out of Udawa? That's what I thought when I, I was like, what is happening? Where's Udawa? I don't even know. I lived in Chattanooga my whole life. I don't think I ever went to Udawa. So the reality of it is we went there. And when we went there, it began a journey of disconnecting from familiar things and connecting to things that required us to walk by faith. The first Sunday, I've told this story many times, the first Sunday we had 34 people. The next week we had like 24. We successfully reduced the church from 34 to 24 in one week. What a move of God we're in. And I recognize now why God had to do that. I recognize now why people said he's... We want him to preach. This is literally what I was told. We, we want you to continue preaching. We love your preaching, but we don't want you to lead the church because we don't trust that you know what you're doing. To an extent, they were absolutely right. I was 22 years old. I mean, at that point, and we're just raising the family. And I, re, I, I thought, and it hurt. The whole thing was a real hurtful thing at, at, at one season. Now I see the faithfulness of God in it all. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen, Amy. Hallelujah. But the reality of it is, I look back now and I see what God was doing to Abraham, what God does to those who he has plans and purposes for. He separates you from the familiar. As long as you are surrounded by the familiar, and I'm not, listen to me very carefully, no one needs to go home and do anything drastic because I'm teaching this sermon today. I told you last week, don't go do foolish things and then blame it on God. If you follow God, sometimes following God makes you look foolish, right? But don't go do something just to look like a fool because you will look like a fool, okay? Sometimes God pulls you away from the familiar and everything you know and everything you're used to and an environment that undergirds and supports you and it sustains you. And God has no room to help you because everything that helps you is already there. And, and, and God sometimes, and this is especially real for young 
Christians in this room today, sometimes God pulls you into places of unfamiliar surroundings. The word familiar, if you see the connection between familiar and family, it's familiar, familiar. It's this word of, of, of support. It's this word of knowing. You know something. You're comfortable with something. It's something that you can depend on and rely on. Family is always there, right? And God says to Abraham, I'm pulling you out of all that. I'm going to get you in a place, not of the familiar, but a place of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And sometimes we like being surrounded by things that don't require us to believe God. I've told the story many times. You can't make this stuff up. When we moved to, when we moved to Udawa from, from Athens many years ago, <laughs> the place we got a house was on Burning Bush Road. I'm serious. De- Devin's like, we found a house. We found a house. This guy takes us to this house. We pull up to this house. This house is too big. I said, there's no way we can afford this house. We were in 800 square feet. Like, you turn around and see each other. Like, you turn. And so I'm like, and we drive up to this house, and we pull up on this house, and only Devin, you know, only Devin can see God in the name of the street you live on. We pull up. She goes, Burning Bush Lane. I'm like, Devin, it's a road. She's like, no, this is a sign. We have a burning bush sign. This is where God, and it's fitting, Devin, that it's three times the size of the house we moved out of. I guess God's in that too, isn't he? Hallelujah. Three, the number of God. Glory, hallelujah. The reality is for the last, I want to just say this to you, because, and, and I try not to make this message eisegetic in that I eisegete the text and make it about me and twist it and bend it to my experience. But my experience is very much uh, uh, exegetical in this, in that God called us out of the familiar, away from things that we were very comfortable with, very friends and people we were very connected to. And he said, I want you to get out from that place, get out from that area, get out from all of that, and I want you to go to a land. And here's what's crazy. God will often call you out of the familiar and not tell you where you're going. Y'all can't handle that. I hope you can receive what I'm saying. If you have to have all of the coordinates and all of the destinations and you have to have all of the stops on the way and he has to cross every T and dot every I and tell me what's up. And if he don't tell me what's up, I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. You are not ready for your purpose. You are not ready for your destiny because destiny is not about what you know. Destiny is about the one you know. And it's about walking with him. Destiny for me has become less about a destination and more about a journey with the God who will never leave me and never forsake me. Some of us have no joy this morning. It's because we think we're not where we're supposed to be. But the joy is not just in getting to where you think you're supposed to be. Joy is in walking with the one who created the heaven and the earth while you're on your way to wherever you're going. That's destiny. Destiny is waking up every morning and knowing that I don't have to do something to get rid of my sin. I don't have to do something to please God. I don't have to do something to make him like me. I'm saved by the grace of God. I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. My sins have been forgiven, and I'm on my way to heaven, and that's destiny, and that's joy. 
And some of us in this room today, we don't have any joy and we don't have any contentment and we don't have any peace because we keep measuring our lives according to other people and we got bitterness in our heart because somebody got a, a nicer thing or a bigger thing, bigger house or something. Else. And you say, well, I hadn't been there yet and I've not gotten there yet. Listen, learn how to celebrate that you're not where you used to be. Learn how to be thankful that you're not who you used to be, that you may be on your way to somewhere else, but until I get there, I'm going to keep joy in my heart and a song on my lips because he's a good God. He's a good God. And, and if, you want to, if you want to enjoy destiny, destiny has an enemy called familiarity. And if you have to be surrounded by familiarity, see, some of us in this room today, I want to tell you this. God is calling you out of the familiar. I'm not talking to everybody. But I know by the Spirit of God, I'm talking to some people in this room and online watching me right now. God is calling you out of the familiar. And listen, if you're not scared half to death, you're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. Isn't it crazy? God will get you in places where you either walk in fear or faith. And fear is very close sometimes. In fact, when Devin, this is a true story. Some of you need to know this. When Devin and I came to this church 20, almost 20 years ago, I don't know that I've ever told this story. I went to get a job and there's only about five people still left that will know this. Patrick Kelly, Lonnie Hensley, uh, there's a few. Vicki, she's still here. There's about five or ten people from the original 24 or 34 that, that, that were there. They'll know this is true. When, I went to, when, I, when we said yes to this church, I drove up on the property. The day after the overseer called me, I drove up on the property as a 22-year-old young man with a baby and one on the way and a wife who had just decorated the nursery for the baby. When I told Devin that we got a call to come to Ottawa, Devin rolled over in the bed and sobbed. And I said, why are you crying? She said, because we just got the house like we, we had 800 square feet. We'll do something else, Dev. God will help us, right? We just got the nursery like we, we'll paint another nursery. Hallelujah, just trust God. She said, the only thing I want is a place for my babies. We put the for sale sign on the yard on Monday and sold it on Tuesday morning. True story. When we drove up on the parking lot in Ottawa 20, almost 20 years ago, I asked the Lord if this was the fulfillment of a dream he gave me when I was 17 years old. And I was 17 years old, had a dream. I knew God called me to the city of Chattanooga. I said, Lord, is this the fulfillment of that dream? And God never answered that question when I asked him in prayer. All he said to me is, this is my will for your life right now. When God said that to me, the only thing I knew to do was follow him. He had already told me several weeks before, nine weeks before, I'm calling you out of Athens. I didn't know where we were going. I only know when I asked God where to, if this was his will, I only knew God said, that's where I want you to be, in the town of Ottawa. I never asked if we would receive a salary when we first got hired. I went to, now listen, if you're 22 years old and a child, you can do that. If you're 40 and four kids, you have to have some planning. Amen? All I knew is God said, go. I knew the church was in trouble back then. 
So I went and got a job, literally. Devin will tell you, I went and got a job, not even knowing what the church was going to do for Devin and I, if anything at all. Nobody ever said a word. I just said, we'll go. When God says go, how many know you don't have to figure out the details? You just have to go. I've, heard, I've told this story before to preachers, and they look at me like I'm ignorant. Like, what? You, you have to know the package. If God says go, write this down. If God says go, just go and let him work on the package. Because at the end of the day, the call of God is not about the package because I'm not a hireling. And if I had to get another job and preach to you on Sunday because we couldn't do it, I'd do that because that's the call on my life. We don't, you don't, listen, you don't get to make the call up and decide what, what it's going to look like. You, you fulfill the call and let God take care of the rest. So I went and got a job. This is a true story before the Lord. I went and got a job and was going to do that job. The first Sunday I went to preach there, <laughs> sweet clerk walks in and slides a check across my desk. And I said, what is this? She said, this is your paycheck. I said, I didn't think I was getting a paycheck. She said, well, here's what happened. I'm talking about trusting God. Somebody say, trust God. <laughs> she said, this is your paycheck. I said, we don't have any money. She said, well, we had some money in savings, and here's what they voted to do. They, def- they voted to pay you for six months out of savings. That's all the savings they have. And if you get it turned around in six months, we'll keep paying you. And if you don't get it turned around in six months, you're going to go get a job. Well, thank you. And when I turned that check over that morning, not knowing what God was up to, to the nickel, Now, it wasn't a whole lot anyway, but to the nickel, it was double what we were making in Athens. I never told this story one time. You say, boy, that must have been nice. Yeah, it was nice. It was amazing. It was was double. And my point is this. I wept. I I couldn't hardly preach that day because I had stepped out of something familiar. And while we didn't have a lot we had joy and peace and we knew everybody and surrounded and we had this great setup and God called us out of that. And he called us into a place of faith. And I decided I'm gonna go get a job and take care of my family. And that morning, God decided he'd show me how good he is when we follow him. Can I tell you that we passed the six month mark and the church had gotten turned around. And God provided, and we never had to go get another job. Somebody say, praise the Lord. I remember being terrified. I remember being scared to death at times, Steve. I remember thinking, if the Lord don't come through, I don't know how we're going to do this. And every single time I worried about would he come through, he came through. Here's the thing I want you to see today. Listen, here's the thing I want you to see today. When you make up your mind to get ready for what God has for your future, it may cause you to to leave the land and the place and the life of familiarity and get out in a place called the land of faith. I feel like I'm talking to someone today who God is calling out from among the familiar into a place of the unfamiliar, and you need to understand you are not crazy. You are following God. 
Can you imagine what it looked like? Now, understand, we read this story and we think Abraham left on his own with his, his wife, Sarah. But that's really not the context. History would tell us and the Bible would tell us that there were probably more like a thousand people who left Haran to go to the promised land with him. He had 318 318 soldiers who were trained for war. That was just the the army that was with him. Some of his family went with him. We know Lot and his family went with him. There, there There were a number of people, hundreds of people. Can you imagine leaving the land of the familiar? Don't miss this. Everybody connected to you says, Abraham, where are we going? Abraham says, I don't know. Anybody ever felt like that, like a leader? Let me talk to leaders in the room. Leaders who lead people, leaders who own businesses, leaders like fathers and mothers who sometimes have to follow God and people following you want information. And sometimes you don't have the information they're looking for. And I know that there are people who can't follow you and I because we don't give information when they demand it. I want to tell you something. Anyone that has to have information to follow you uh, doesn't understand that sometimes God speaks in ways that confound the wise. And sometimes God is doing exceedingly abundantly above. And sometimes God doesn't give you the information to weed out the people who are not supposed to go with you, who have to know everything and will try to really pull you back into Haran at some point. You got to make up your mind that when God calls you, you don't have to check everybody's list off. You don't have to make everybody happy. You don't have to, Lord, I'm preaching myself right now. You don't have to please everybody. It don't have to make sense to everybody. You got to lay your head down at night and you got to know I am following the Lord. And if they like it, wonderful. And if they don't understand, that's okay. I still love them, but I'm not staying where I've been. I am going to a new place. Who am I talking to in this room? I'm going to a new territory. I'm going to another level. I'm going to a new place in God. I'm thankful for what he's done, but the best is yet to come, and I will not stay stuck. Hallelujah. I want you to understand that God is pulling you out of the familiar. Don't be discouraged or fearful. A couple of things I want you to consider. Number one, he did not receive the land and then walk to it. He walked to it and then received it. He called him out and wanted to make sure he was willing to get out before he told him what he was gonna give him. I'm getting ready to walk around. God wants to make sure you're fed up with where you've been before he shows you what he's taking you to. Yes, because some people will only leave if they know what they're leaving to. But people of faith have got to be fed up with where they've been. And when you get fed up with where you've been, it's not that I curse where I've been. It's just that where I am can't hold what God is fixing to do in my life. I don't know where he's taken me. I just know I can't stay. Stop somebody telling them I can't stay here. 
I can't stay here. Where I am is good. It got me to this place. It's been an incubator for my purpose, but I can't just stay here. I don't know what he's getting ready to do, but I know I can't stay here and him fulfill it. I'm getting ready to be poured out of the land of familiarity. Are you willing to disconnect from what has been familiar so that you can enter what God has in store? And are you okay with the fact that he may not show you everything he's taking you to? You're just going to have to decide, I'm not staying here. This is uncomfortable because at least Haran, you know what you have. When you leave Haran in the land of the familiar, you don't know where he's, t- the Bible is clear. Hebrews eleven eight is clear. Abraham did not know where he was going. Yet he left anyway. That's faith. I don't know where I'm going. But I trust that if God called me out of this, he's not leading me into nothing. He's leading me into a place of promise. Now, I told you to open your Bible to Galatians 3. Keep it open to Galatians 3. I want you to see one more thing before I go to Galatians 3. I'm going to end with Galatians 3, but I want you to see this. When Abraham leaves Haran and he doesn't know where he's going, He's simply following the Lord. And he gets to the land, and God says, this is it. I'm in in Genesis chapter 12. This is the land. The land, watch, that I'm going to give your seed. Now, the promise of Abraham was, some say threefold, some say fourfold. I personally think it was fourfold. In the 12th chapter of Genesis, I'm not going to preach deep about the promise, but let me give to you the fourfold promise of God to Abraham. Number one, land. Why? Because the ultimate fulfillment of God in the end, whenever the end comes, the eschatology of God, the end of all things is the redemption of land. The reason God gave Abraham the promise of land is because before it's all over, God's gonna redeem all of this land. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And the kingdoms of this world, according to the book of Revelation, the kingdom of this world shall become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, our God and his Christ. So at the end of time, whenever this is, that's why the Bible said the meek shall inherit the earth. This earth is going to be renewed by fire. How many know what I'm teaching you is in the Bible? This earth's going to be renewed by fire, new heaven, new earth, and the, and the saints are going to rule and reign with Jesus. Jesus is going to sit on a literal throne and he's going to rule for a thousand years. Hallelujah. So this whole promise of land given to Abraham has eschatological implications. At the end God's going to redeem all this corrupt world. Which is why Satan fights for the land. How many ever been to Israel before things got crazy with COVID? You can't travel nowhere without, you know, whatever. I've been to Israel several times. It's crazy how small that little piece of land is and how much war is going on over it. Why is there a war going on over it? Because God made a promise to his seed. 
that Abraham would inhabit that land and the devil has been fighting for that land. Not only did God God give him the promise of land, he gave him the promise of offspring. Genesis 12, verse 7. He says, to your seed. Seed. Everyone say seed. God told Abraham, to your seed, I will give this land. Now, this is where it gets crazy. Because Abraham is 75, y'all. I got some 70-year-olds in here getting real nervous right now. <laughs> like, Gertrude, grab the keys. We're getting up out of here. <laughs> like, he ain't prophesying over me. Oh, nope. I bind the devil on every hand. Right? 75 years old, God says to him, you're seed, not your servant. Your seed will inherit this land. Now, I want you to hear something. I wrote this down. This is regarding the perpetuity of the blessing of God. Say perpetuity. It's the ongoingness. It's the ongoingness. See, you got to, oh, God, help me teach this right right here. God has to give you seed so that your, your, your family can handle the perpetuity of the blessing. The blessing of God, this is what I wrote down. The blessing of God is too vast and too wide and too deep to be revealed in one generation. When we, when we call him the God of Abraham, we don't stop there. We say what? He's the God of Abraham and Why do we say that? Because if you stop in Abraham, Abraham was living in a tent in the land, but he never occupied it as the promise. Then why would God call it the promised land of Abraham if Abraham lived in a tent according to Hebrews 8, 11 verse 9? I'll tell you why. Because God was content in calling the promised land the promise of Abraham because God never intended for it to end in Abraham. He intended for the perpetuity of the blessing to continue. Y'all missing what I'm saying. This is why Devin is up here talking about having kids and some people are in here like, I need a child. I want a child. And you can't have a child. I want to tell you right now in the name of Jesus that there is a perpetuity of blessing coming on your house. You better make sure you got somebody to share this blessing with. God would never bless you in such a way that you could experience it and extinguish it all in one generation. It is the perpetuity. Somebody needs to get this for your children and your grandchildren and your great-great-grandchildren. I pray one day they're sitting around a table at a a Thanksgiving meal 150 years from now and they look at my picture and they see my picture on the coffee table and they say, who's that old codger? That was my great-great-great-great-granddaddy and he stormed hell and he took territory and we're still... We're still living in blessing. We're still walking in blessing because somebody was not afraid to leave the familiar and to step out in faith. God, give us perpetuity in blessing. Slap your neighbor, tell a neighbor, God's about to bless your offspring. God's about to bless your whole house. Ooh, I'm talking to somebody online this morning. God's about to bless 
you. You decided to follow God. Your family said you were crazy. They said you should have did this. And instead you did what God told you to do. But before this is over, they're getting ready to fall down and give God glory for the way he's getting ready to bless your life. Slap somebody and tell them my house will be blessed. Yes, I used to be an alcoholic. Yes, I used to be a drug addict. Yes, I used to be a whoremonger. But look what the Lord has done. He brought me out of Haran. He took me out of the familiar. He led me into the promise. And my seed, my seed shall be blessed. My seed will be blessed. Woo! Hallelujah. Somebody holler if you believe God is going to bless your children. How? Every curse is broken. Every generational spell is broken. The blood is against you, Satan. The blessing is on my house. If God be for us, who can be against us? Somebody shout if you know you're blessed. Oh, we gotta go. We gotta go. I know the restaurant is calling your name, but I feel like somebody is coming up out of darkness into a place of blessing. I feel like there are some families that are leaving the familiar and you're getting ready to launch out in faith and you don't know what's next, but you know that God is walking with you. He, he said, I'm going to give you land and I'm going to give you seed. Let me give y'all this. Lord have mercy on Sunday. Let me give y'all this. When we adopted Genesis, it was a seven month process. And when we adopted her, the judge asked me a series of questions. And I'm sitting there saying, why is he asking me? Asking me if I want this child. I wouldn't be here if I didn't want this child. I love this baby. And here's the thing. He asked me so many questions because he wanted to know. He wanted me to know. This is irrevocable. If you take her and she carries your last name in the state of Tennessee, that baby has more rights to my inheritance than my own children. And let me tell you why. Because over the years, children would get adopted and families would snub the adopted children and give them to those who, who, who were in the, in, the, in the family through blood. And so what the court system and the legal system did is they put laws in place to uh, protect those who were grafted in. I'm getting ready to close, but I want to remind everybody in the house this morning that I was
was not born of Jew and you were not born a Jew and because of that we were outside of the commonwealth of Israel but I came to praise God this morning that in Christ Jesus there is neither male nor female there is neither bond nor free there is neither Jew nor Gentile in Christ we are all one and watch this if you are a seed uh, come from the seed of Christ you are an heir of Abraham's promise according to Galatians 3 which means what I'm telling you is when he grafted you in the family he wanted you to know that the devil cannot take your inheritance religion cannot take your inheritance you belong to God and nothing can set Hallelujah. I told you I'm going to end with Galatians 3, and I am. Look at Galatians. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Look at this. Chad, help me here. Put up those scriptures I gave you. Chad. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith. See, let me, let me paint the picture. That's why I started out with faith. I started this message by faith, believing God. Simply believing God. No strings attached. Not what will you do for me. I'm just going to believe you. Mm, Sila. Just try. How many can say, by the grace of God, today I just want to leave this building believing God? <laughs> Only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. Why is he saying this to this group? Because there are people in the church of Galatia telling everybody, if you get circumcised, then you're a son of Abraham. Here's what's crazy. Abraham was alive and blessed years before circumcision ever came about. Abraham didn't get what he got because he was circumcised. Abraham walked in the promise. Simply because he trusted in the voice of God. There are some people in here right now who do not cross all your T's. You do not dot all the religious I's. We will not jump through your religious hula hoops. We are not going to cross your religious red tape. Well, who does he think he is? How much time do you have? I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm the seed of Abraham and the seed in Christ. I want you to understand. Watch this. Watch this. You and I do not have entitlement to anything in the kingdom of God because of our last name. There is only one reason I am preaching that God is going to bless your house. I'm getting ready to give it to you and we're going to go home. Uh, seventh verse. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Chad, next, next series of verses. And the scripture foreseeing, yes, verse 15. Look at this. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one can annul or add to it. Say, no one can annul. Verse 16, keep going, Chad, please. Now to Abraham and his seed, pay careful attention, because we get ready to praise Jesus before we leave this room, and I'm getting ready to tell you why. Now to Abraham and his seed, say seed, seed. where the promise is made. 
He does not say to Abraham and to seeds as if there were many, but as of one seed and to your seed who is? Keep going, verse 17. And this I say that the law which was 430 years later cannot annul this is good news right here the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ that it should make the promise of God of no effect for if the inheritance is of the law it is no longer of promise but God gave it to Abraham by promise go to the next series of verses please and if you are Christ's If you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Everybody got your Bible? Go back to Genesis 12 real quick. I got to let you go because some of y'all need some of that leftover turkey. I see that ham look on your face. You need some of it before the day is over. But before I let you go, you got to get this right here. Verse number seven. Verse number seven. Uh, the Bible said, Oh, it's not verse 11. Hold on. It's in there, I promise you. Nobody get nervous. It's the Lord testing these people. Look at verse number, yes, seven. He said, this land is to your seed. Not seeds, but seed. God didn't tell all of us it was ours. God told Abraham, it is your seed. It belongs to your seed seed if it belongs to just one seed then all of us in this room are disqualified because I'm not the seed and you're not the seed who's the seed Paul told us in Galatians 3 Christ is the seed of the promise given to Abraham which means everything God promised Abraham, God gave to his seed, which is Christ. But the good news is, and I'm getting ready to go, God didn't want to enjoy it all for himself. So Jesus said, I'm going to let this seed fall into the ground and die. Unless a seed falls to the earth and dies, it abideth alone. But the Bible is clear that three days after they killed the seed on an old rugged cross, he came back on that Sunday morning, kicked the end out of the tomb, walked out with the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And because I am in Christ, the blessing of Abraham is on our lives. We are not the seed, but we're in the seed, and we're heirs with God and joint heirs with Jesus. Stand with me. I'm through preaching. I'm, I'm, I'm not the seed, but I know the seed. I'm not the seed, but I'm in the seed, and the seed is living inside of me. And the same blessing that God made to Abraham, God made the same blessing available to his seed. And the same blessing available to the seed is the same blessing available to those who are in the seed. If you have faith in Christ, then everything that God ever gave Jesus, God makes available to you and I. 
here's the thing. When God blessed Abraham, he gave him land. He gave him offspring. He gave them, he gave him the promise of personal blessing. Personal blessing. And then he said, not only am I going to personally bless you, I'm going to make you a blessing to many nations. Now, I recognize that that fourfold promise was made to Abraham in what we call the Abrahamic covenant, but I want to be very clear. That promise is still in effect. Galatians said so. The law cannot annul it. What comes later cannot annul the promise that has already been made. So what are you telling me, Pastor? Telling you God's about to bless you because you're in Christ. Some of you, all you have is the ability to trust Jesus. What a fellowship. What a joy divine leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness. What a peace is mine leaning on the everlasting arms. I'm leaning. I'm leaning safe and secure from all alarm. I'm leaning, I'm leaning, I'm leaning on the everlasting arms. How many love Jesus because he's he's the savior of your soul and the one that rescued you? Listen, we should never cease to praise him for what he pulled us from out of, pulled us out of from our past. But don't ever forget that he pulled you out of the past to lead you into a destiny. The kind of future framed by his favor. That when it begins to happen in your life, you'll be able to give no one glory but God. And it begins with trusting him. Hey, family, while your faith is high and while God is speaking to you through this message today, I wanted to end this time together by saying a prayer for you and agreeing with you in prayer that God is going to meet you right where you are at the point of your need. As we pray, I want you to remember this. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. You don't have a problem. All you need is faith in God. And today we're going to agree in prayer together for your healing, for your deliverance, for the miracle, for the blessing that you've been waiting on. I believe it's time to pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the people of God who are watching today. Thank you for everyone who has tuned in to this this message and this broadcast. And we are agreeing in prayer right now that every need they have, you are going to supply it. Father, I reach out to you in faith and I pray for the person who is lost that you would save them. For the person who is sick that you would bring healing right now to their body. Father, for the person who needs a miracle financially, a miracle in their home, a miracle in their marriage, there's nothing too hard for you. 
And in Jesus' name, we speak to that issue. We command those mountains to be moved. And we thank you in advance for your blessing that's coming up on their lives today. In Jesus' name, we receive it. Amen. Friend, I can't wait to be with you next week. I'm going to keep praying for you until then. God bless you. Spread the news. And we'll see you soon. Go in peace.